Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom, and the things they've learned along the way. My guest today is here to shed some light on the secretive world of secure lifestyle and invisible security required by the rich and famous. Kate Bright started out as a personal and executive assistant in the private and family sector and in 2013 carried out close protections training. Following this, she recognized the gap in the market for female security professionals to offer protection to private clients and their families due to being ultra high net worth individuals. So she set up Umbra International to do just that. She's also a well-recognized speaker and is passionate about supporting ex-veterans and ex-pro sports people get back into employment by raising funding and awareness, including by paddleboarding across the channel. I'm very interested to hear about that last little bit, um, but she's a truly wonderful lady and I've heard her name mentioned by many, many people. So I'm personally delighted that the rather wonderful Kate Bright can join us on the Android 40 podcast today. Loads to find out in just 30 minutes, but we will do our absolute best. Kate Bright, welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, it's a, it's a pleasure, it's all ours. Thank you for finding the time. You're a very busy lady. The first thing I'm going to say, and I hope you don't think this in any way sexist, you're a very, very attractive lady in the personal security space. Already there yeah. seems to be this kind of disconnect based on our preconceptions, but we'll come on to talk about that a little bit in a minute. First of all, uh, personal executive assistant. Tell us about your life first, Kate, and what led to you becoming uh, an exec assistant. Yeah, so well, well, thank you for that glorious introduction. I think um, I've always been to uh, dispel the the myths and stereotypes, but, but somehow, sometimes by not even knowing that they exist. But um, I think that my career can best be described as accidental, um, both in terms of the time I came out of university, um, way back in the Neolithic age. Um, I think it was possibly around about 2001, without giving my age away too much. Um, but it was a, a particularly tricky time, and not not unlike uh, tricky times we're finding ourselves in now, although I'd say now is, a, is a slightly more amplifying than the uh, dot-com uh, bust and the 2000s. But um, for me, the, the, the sort of career path that I chose was simply out of necessity that I finished my degree at Royal Holloway. I was always wanting to work in London. That was a, a sort of a real focus for me as a, a career path, uh, which worried my father slightly when people said, "Where you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I used to say, work in London. Um, but actually, 22 years later, here, here I still am. So it was always somewhere that I gravitated towards. And to be honest, the PA, personal assistant career path, but totally by chance, I'd given my CV to a lot of the, the headhunter recruiters that my career service had given me um, in, in their sort of infinite wisdom at Royal Holloway. And um, one agency took my, my CV forward. I got a job working 
for the chairman and CEO of a, um, a company that was being acquired by Disney. Day one, I met the owners of Disney. Um, day two, I had to sort of set up things and organize meetings. And I, was, I think I was a 98th assistant underneath sort of 97 other hugely proficient assistants. Um, but I had no sort of formal training as to what personal assistants actually did, other than the fact that I realized from day one that you're um, a sort of hybrid gatekeeper, uh, fixer, problem solver, um, and I still have, and you know, I'm part of a, a very active PA and chief of staff community who I, I doff my cap because 22 years later, there's people that I met in those first few years. And we formed a little network that meets up every month who are still working for um, sort of high profile, high net worth individuals, captains of industry. And really from there, actually, Sandra, I mean, my, my career was, as I say, totally accidental. I, I think when you've worked in a chairman's office as your first role, you're the 98th, 8,000th assistant. You work your way up to the 97,000th assistant, all the way up to sort of secondary and junior assistant to, um, to, to someone quite exceptional. And the words chief of staff then, uh, I think it was more to do with the White House than it was actually sort of somebody that's, that's set uh, their standards high enough to actually manage all of the teams that work around somebody of, of note. Um, but I managed to sort of move and progress through working for an American family, um, a, a UK-based family, a a Russian media owner, um, uh, an Israeli family, which was um, really great fun. Um, and during that time, I, I think this whole idea that, um, and I'll come on to my sort of tips and, and, and things for young people, but I'm, I'm constantly asked about that. But actually, it was the network that I built along the way that, um, that moved me into the, 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 the setting up of the business. Now, the setting up of the business was in itself a total accident, and it, it was totally organic. I um, mean, it stemmed from, as you quite rightly say, undertaking my close protection training, and I can talk about what that, that entails separately. Um, because I was working for the sorts of clients where this sort of obvious word security um, does conjure up uh, physical protection. So um, it was one of the heads of security that said to me, Kate, you're very bossy. You boss us around all the time. You should probably do the training um, to get a bit of a more of an in-depth understanding of you know the role of, of protection and the role that um, trained security professionals undertake. Um, so I, I, I merrily went off, uh, did the training, brought that back into the workplace that I was in at the time. And I just I think where the business has evolved is that definitely that at the fundamental core of the business is the fact that we believe that security should be accessible, um, that we believe that there's not just one way to do things. And I think the fact that I am a woman and I've done the training, it certainly sticks out. So it's something we can talk about not only as a business, but also for an industry to look at itself and say, what's the benefit of, of having a diverse and inclusive workforce. Um, but the business has really grown from that, 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 Simple um, uh, instruction, should I say, by my head of security at the time, who's still a great mate, um, and then getting more under the, the bonnet of what my clients needed from a security perspective. And I've always said we're not a security company, we're not security experts, but we will project manage and bring together the best expertise to help our clients. Um, so yeah, fast forward five years later, and we're now running a business that started from home and is currently at home. So uh, that's that's sort of that's it in a nutshell, really. Well, to, to coin a phrase that you used earlier, Kate, I doff my cap to you. That is, that is quite a spectacular journey. To, to leapfrog 97,000 other people um, clearly says something about you. I, I, I'm not sure I, I, um, I warmed to the idea that you lived during Neolithic times because I don't know what that says about me. My, I must have been Jurassic, I think. I'm not sure. Um, but anyway. You look very fresh for it. <laughs> Thank you. And, and uh, the, the compliment is duly returned. Um, so. You, you describe yourself as bossy, or others do. 
does does that translate to don't want to put words in your mouth here Kate focused driven you know clearly very progressive know what you want uh despite the fact your early ambitions were just to live in London but that's that's greater than most people's ambitions at least you had one uh would how would you describe yourself as a person what are the qualities that Kate Bright uh, that has as an individual that helped her to leapfrog those 97,000 people and clearly led to those opportunities that you've now taken advantage of? Well, I think, I think I'd go back to um, possibly my upbringing as a starting point. I think you know, being raised with brothers um, uh, uh, and a sister uh, teaches you how to stick up for yourself. Um, and I think that... Uh, over the years, the things that have possibly endured that the people that have known me the longest would say about me, which is probably a good temperature check, um, is that um, this this desire to get to know people um, and to build that sort of uh, network of people around me, I would say is something that's, if that's a, a personality characteristic, but, um, I think the only way I've been able to, and, and I would, I would go back on saying leapfrog, I would say, you know, it's 22, not a parallel to a sort of military career, but not far off 22 years of working in the industry that I've worked in, you know, there's a bit of grit there. And I would, I would give that back to my parents because, you know, growing up in a, in a, a house of, of four of us. We were, you know, that was something that was very much instilled for, uh, within us at an early age. I think Bossy can sometimes, particularly when it's in the feminine form, come across in a way that is um, quite direct. Um, and I think I've learned that um, that your personality traits are not defined by your gender, and that's that's all thanks to my upbringing of being in very much in parity in the household. My parents being in parity in in, in their roles within that. Um, I think when you're looking at, and it's again at the tag of sort of setting up a business, people say entrepreneurial and give you all these sort of labels. It's quite hard to actually, um, that doesn't necessarily resonate with me as much as uh, I saw an opportunity and I took it and I knew the right people that could help me. Um, so I think teamwork and a team player is possibly something that I've had to be. Um, uh, and I think also a, a sense of humor. Um, if you don't have humor in your life, what is the point? And as someone that set up a business now through um, sort of, well, uh, who's worked over the period of like the last 22 years and does remember way back when the sort of 87s and, and things like that. Okay, very, very much, very young at the time, um, but a sense of resilience as well. And there were three words I wrote down when um, the sort of current uh, situation kicked off, both for me personally and professionally, and that was resilience and resourcefulness. So I think those two things, growing up, starting work, you know, through education, and then now in running a business, um, I would be happy with Bossy, but I think um, there's perhaps a, a sort of resilience and resourcefulness there that hopefully comes with a little bit of a, a smile and some humour uh, around the edges. So in 2013, when it was recommended that you uh, do some close protection training, just tell us about what that involves, just to dispel all those stereotypical myths that I'm sure um, I share with lots of other people. So what? So talk us, talk us through the close protection training and what's involved there. So the close protection license is one of the licensable activities that's governed by the regulator, the Security Industry Authority, which I now actually sit on the board of as of the start of this year, which I'm very proud to be sitting on. Um, and way back then, it was presented to me as a course which was going to span across a lot of different practical and theoretical functions. So I came into it much like yourself, thinking, great, I'm going to get to throw cars around and I'm going to get to do all sorts of funky stuff. Um, where actually a lot of the training to 
look after somebody in, in as it suggests, close quarters, is using a lot of EQ and a lot of um, uh, preventative measures. So noticing when things might have possibly gone wrong, where you can perhaps use your own um, you know, person and your own... Um, you can, you can use a sense of distraction or um, you can use different skills other than hard skills to get a good outcome for your clients. So for me, training was um, a real delight. It was, it, was a, it was a blend of practical assignments, so going out and, and simulating, you know, walking around with a client in real life, using radios, um, being able to communicate in a, a sort of a way that is... Um, much more akin to I think the sort of alpha bravo that people would think is is sort of associated with that sort of world but a hell of a lot of stuff around understanding the laws of the country understanding that the licensable activity actually sits alongside um, the private security industry act so making sure that you're um, you know you're working alongside a lot of the safety and the data protection and all those sort of um, slightly more kind of theoretical uh, sides of things. That was a surprise to me. And also that the license doesn't end with 160 hours of learning. You're encouraged to continue to develop yourself, which is right up the street anyway, because you know, from there I took on a, a little bit more of the um, Israeli martial arts training because we did a, a small part of the sort of unarmed combat, um, physical intervention side of things. Um, but also this idea that... Um, that security only looks one way. Um, and I think that was something that the training really did cement for me that yes, you are taught how to, um, in worst case scenarios, get involved. And, and also, how can you be expected to learn everything in 160 hours? I think that this understanding that was implicit within the course, that you went away and you developed your language skills so you could work with a broader range of clients, that you were going to take extra driving skills if you were going to be doing more driving. So that for me was a really a real eye-opener because much like anybody else that I talk to when I describe having done the training, it's not a static course. I didn't do it in 2013 and think, brilliant, I've done that now, I'm an expert. It's definitely by boots on the ground. Um, and I was lucky enough to work with some fantastic teams, both prior to uh, and in the PA capacity and chief of staff capacity, but then also after that to really understand, A, where there's a fantastic training and background. Some of these guys and women come from military backgrounds, policing backgrounds, all sorts of different backgrounds, but where that's also actually um, combined with really good on the ground or client knowledge or knowing your places and faces. I actually found I was really useful coming from my side of the equation as they were coming from a, you know, a military or a royal protection or whatever background. So um, the training was brilliant. It's something I highly recommend if, particularly for my PA and chief of staff community of people looking at career pivots. I, I'm a big fan of extra training in, in every sense of the word, but it was a pretty out there thing to do at the time. Um, but, but hopefully by talking about it, I've normalized the fact that A, you can come at it from a civilian background, but also the role that women can play in that world is, is huge and, and still uh, underdeveloped. So I'm really trying to help promote that. I'm smiling to myself because I'm, I'm, envisioning uh, Kate and her significant other having a row and uh, long gone are the days of pots and pans being thrown around. It's just like putting flat on their back, you know, and uh, that's the end of the argument. Um, so, uh, but there, there's the stereotype again. So uh, when you were going through this training, Kate, what, what was that light bulb moment, if there was one, that made you think, hang on a minute, there's a, there's a place in the market for Umbra? 
Well, I think it, the, the genesis of the business, I always say, was in that very training because it opened my eyes and unlocked a lot of the myths, stereotypes and all the rest of it. Um, and I think my difference started to become a sort of talking point. So I was talking to the same people, the same clients, the same team members and people that I'd worked with, but coming at it from a slightly hybrid perspective. So the phone really just started ringing, Sandra. I mean, people had always asked me how to find really good, trustworthy people, how to hire in a really effective way, um, what, what services and suppliers that they recommended that I go and talk to from every aspect of my, my personal and professional spectrum. But I then realized that I think, and, and I have to credit my, one of my brothers who came up with the word Umbra um, as a, a sort of Latin for shadow shade, protection, however you want to sort of describe it that there was, there was a gap in the market for providing a, um, a sort of project-managed approach or a relationship-led approach to security. We talked about your business where you, know, you build it on core principles and values, getting to know people, getting to know what the generations want. And I realized that Umbra is only really an extension of what I was doing client-side for all, that, all those years. Um, and it's just an extrapolation of all of those things that security starts with really good people, um, whether that's your butler or your bodyguard, whether that's your head of security, whether that's your, uh, you know, your teammate in a private office. Um, it, 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 it's it's molded by great supplier selection. So how you choose to run your daily life is a reflection of how secure your lifestyle is going to be. Um, and then how that translates into the, the, the next generations, your children, those, those people that are going to take the mantle after you. And, and I think also for me during that time, it made me realize how we still need to make this idea of security more accessible. You know, it's not about the bodyguard. That's my hook, obviously, to talk about what I do. But actually, as we can see from today's world, security is about addressing our insecurities, about peace of mind. And that is different ends of the spectrum for different people. So hopefully what we've tried to kind of build within the business is a business that does make it accessible. And you mentioned the work that I'm doing with um, the sort of veteran and exporting community. Yeah, we're personally putting profit back into helping people from backgrounds that would never have otherwise thought about coming into the world of security, ex-pro sport. You know, it's, it's totally natural for me to think about ex, particularly rugby player, men, women, whoever coming into security once they finish sports. So that for me has become something that I'm hugely passionate about. So that's really how it's evolved. It's totally organic uh, and, and totally, I, would, I wouldn't now say necessarily accidental because there's been a process and a plan each stage of the way. But I look back now to five years ago, definitely wasn't a sort of an agenda as such. It's, it's totally evolved through, through word of mouth and through the relationships that we've created. Well done, what a brilliant story. Um, now, we know that women are generally better at forming relationships, uh, better at establishing trust more quickly than men. I mean, that's a, just a well-known fact. What, what are the other benefits that um, female, females bring to the protection space? What, what, where, are your, where are your wins? I, I think that's probably the best way of putting it. You know, what are your differentiators? Um, what are the things that you find most challenging as, as, a, as a female? Uh, and what are the things that you think you've got a little bit of a head start with in, in relation to the work that you do? So in terms of challenges and opportunities, I think I, I did a, um, a TEDx talk a couple of years ago and I called it invisible security. Um, I called it that because I wanted to have a sort of an on the record uh, moment in my career where I talked about my journey, talked about why I'd done what I'd done and the build up to that, that point. And bearing in mind that's two years ago, it's possibly out of date now. But in that, I set out 
what I, I perceive and from my own experience to be the opportunities that I saw for, let's call it sort of a sort of more diverse approach to security. And don't forget, this was all in the backdrop of the last five years of, of cyber, digital risks and threats. So really invisible security, not just human beings, but the sort of in the ether security, your cloud-based security, um, your handset. Everyone now, if I have 10, certainly 20 years ago when I first started work, um, you know, we didn't have we didn't have mobile phones, um, which you know. Fast forward to now, that's that, that. There's a whole new paradigm around this idea of invisible security. So I was really interested to to look at the, the sort of invisible security terminology to give a reflection of what I thought I thought and think is useful um, around that kind of. Let's look at the gender um, argument, but. For me, it was my own experience of being very useful in scenarios where, not least of which, where there's cultural considerations or sensitivities, but where there's a, a sort of maybe women or children to be thought about in, in, in that sense, um, and where a difference in the gender is actually a competitive advantage. Um, and I think where I also then from first-hand experience saw this, this benefit, if you like, was that um, you're able to really to, to break up a, a, a sort of a physical team's look and feel. So you wouldn't necessarily look at myself and my head of security going into a, a hotel, for example, in any other context than a man and a woman going into a hotel. But you know, for those of us particularly living in um, you know, London and, and, and larger cities, we've all had experiences where we've seen you know, people with swirly-whirlies on their neck and you know, huddled in groups of five or ten maybe guys, maybe there's a woman in the mix as well, but, you know, in a, in a sort of very obvious force. And I, I think what I've noticed over the time that I worked post, um, post close protection license and pre was that I saw in the teams that I worked with, how useful it was to have a different approach. And, you know, I mentioned in terms of the training, it just think of the different scenarios that you'd find yourself in and on a lifestyle um, basis from school runs to, uh, you know, um, going out to, to, to restaurants and, uh, night, you know, the night, nightclubs where actually purely through not being noticed, you're able to make the biggest difference. And I think that was possibly where I saw that there was a real big opportunity for certainly for women, but women, but also for an inclusive and a diverse team approach. Um, I think challenge wise, I've never seen there to be any challenge to me, both entering the sector, uh, setting up the business. As I said, I'm, I'm a huge team, team player advocate. I'm hugely collaborative. Sometimes to my, my peril, I'll, I'll get people involved where perhaps you know, getting a sort of more streamlined approach might be, might be more appropriate. So hands up to being too collaborative. I mean, I'll, I'll have that on my, uh, on my stone any, any day of the week. Um, but, but I've always faced challenges as things to be overcome. If there's not a route through to get a client what they uh, need and require to keep them safe, I will go and find a way that we can do it. So, um, but as I say, I work with some of the best in the industry and that's globally. Um, and I think all of them would say that there is um, a huge benefit uh, to, to thinking in that way and a huge risk if you don't, um, particularly in the world of today where we've got, to, we've got to think outside the box. We've got to be creative. We've got to look at um, what all of us need from this word security. And we've all got to step up to the plate. I think one of the days where it's the sort of vulnerable female client being looked after by the sort of the female um, uh, close protection operative, if you take that as an example, um, I think we're a lot more uh, evolved and progressed. Even in the last five years that I've, I've been working in this industry, I'm really proud to work on the fringes of it um, and, and collaborate with the best, as I say. So um, 
great, great opportunity still um, for the industry to, to evolve and change. But I, I would say I always see the challenges as opportunities of which there are many. Yeah, amen to that. I, I know you speak a lot of um, serving ultra high networks in particular with complex needs. What exactly do you mean by complex needs, Kate? Well, we coined this phrase of secure lifestyle. Um, and, and I think that sort of is a nice whitewash over um, how all of our lives have different facets to them. All of our family situations, the various different sort of peculiarities and, and sort of the uniqueness uh, to those situations. So I think where you add um, a layer of exposure through uh, either wealth or fame or, uh, as I say, captain of industry, um, you then attract um, a certain type of uh, attention, lifestyle, you're having to um, uh, present yourself and potentially your inner circle in a way that is more exposed than, say, someone who's kept themselves maybe more, more private or who hasn't got those sort of those considerations. And I think the, the more that you are um, uh, in the public domain, the more that you are, I would say, exposed through wealth, because it is an exposure, um, uh, and the more you have to or want to talk about what you do uh, in in the public domain, there are, there are complexities that come with that, um, and every single human being that I've dealt with, regardless of where they sit on that spectrum, has an, an idea of how they want to live their life. It's how you match what's realistic to what's called a risk assessment um, without compromising someone's enjoyment of life. Because there's no point in us recommending a whole kind of cotton wool padded structure when someone simply won't live like that or that the other generations within the family or the, the friendship network just doesn't work in that way. And so you're actually not thinking uh, of all the possible permutations that someone might want to live their life in a secure way. So secure lifestyle was something that um, I sort of brought that word security to, to that word lifestyle. So you're not actually thinking about uh, uh, a project in the, in the umbra sense of, of the word in a way that is um, not looking and, and overturning any stone, any nook and cranny. Um, and I think this also that ties in really nicely with this idea that you can always be 100% safe and secure. It's all down to perception. And, and different people at different stages of that wealth or exposure or that, however you want to see that matrix have a different perception of their own safety and security and peace of mind. So I think going back to this idea of relationship, it's only through building those relationships through the generations and through time. And bearing in mind some of my relationships have been around 22 years old or based on probably one and a half years of being on this planet. Um, you know, it's, it's the, 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 there's no two clients that are, the, that are the same. And I wouldn't put any particular client in any particular bracket other than we're all now pretty much, not least of which right now, literally today, united by this need to feel secure. Uh, so we're doing a lot more, particularly under lockdown, around this idea of security wellness. doesn't matter where you sit on the spectrum, we all need to address it and we all need to have some sort of ownership of that process. What's the most rewarding part of your job, given all that you've uh, shared so far? And thank you for that. What's the most rewarding part? I think having created something for uh, by myself, uh, having created something that can have such a, a far-reaching and global impact, um, I'm, I'm really proud of those that I've worked with, not, not, I'm not so sort of, uh, it's not about me, as I say, collaboration and teamwork has been key. Um, I think the way that, um, the support that I've had around me has enabled me to now sit literally at the table. Um, so, you know, the sort of bodyguard to boardroom, you know, it's, 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 in, my business has enabled me to, um, now be able to, to sort of get 
some real change done. And that's a total privilege and honor. Um, the people I get to meet, um, in, in, in a day gone by when I was allowed to get on an airplane, um, the places that I was able to go uh, and, and visit and, and the locations that my clients and, and my, my communities live in, um, being able to see more of the world. I, and I think I'm, I, I think I'm proud of the fact that in some way, shape or form, Umbra will have been part of a leaving a legacy of change. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's a, a really great, uh, uh, legacy to leave behind. I've got so many more questions I want to ask you. We're going to have to squeeze a couple in. Um, your passion, that was a bit rubbish, sorry, but I don't know if that was... your passion for supporting ex-veterans, uh, and ex-veterans people, where did that come from? So I have always worked around a lot of um, ex-military personnel. Um, that was right from sort of day one on the, on the job, really. I think you, you tend to work around where there's security, there's a sort of ex-military or police or those sort of um, forces backgrounds. Um, I've got military in the family as well. One of my brothers is a, um, a currently serving in, in the army and friendship groups as well. Over the years, it just seemed that I was working in environments where I was I was around a lot of people with that mindset um, I'm hugely competitive so a lot of my friendship groups were sport, born out of sport um, and so getting to know lots of uh, you know, my, my, my friends who've played both you know football rugby cricket or, or combination of any of those of the above being raised as I said with brothers and that, that probably didn't help my competitive mindset uh, too much but it seemed that I was my community that was around me in my both my professional and my personal life these really performing individuals who on both sides of it, when they came to the end of that particular career, started to think about what the next bit was all about. And so um, you know, fast forward now to helping and, and part of the business in, in terms of recruiting those mindsets and those individuals into uh, the sort of private family or, or sort of high net worth space. I soon, it, it, I, I soon realized that I was actually giving loads of advice to my mates about how to uh, finished a career that I had no idea of the complexities that were involved with uh, spending you know, 22 years in the Royal Engineers doing four tours of Afghanistan. And that is, that's the kind of skill and teamwork that I talk about a lot in my own business that you can't, you can't even imagine. And you put that into a civilian environment, that is gold dust. So, so, and then conversely conversations with my, particularly my rugby community, I started to realize that they were both asking me the same things when they were starting to think about what they were going to do next. And that both sets of mindsets, A, got on and, and there was a natural sort of uh, cohesion there. But also that was something that I, I, I definitely saw that um, there was an opportunity to, to kind of do more. Um, so what started as friendship groups and then professional uh, working environments and working with more ex-military and more ex-individuals, more friendship groups. I started to get involved with um, a lot of the more charitable based um, uh, uh, entities bearing in mind the last five, 10 years, we've had uh, the sort of uh, health heroes and, and the sort of very much a focus on uh, our um, armed forces personnel. I hope that that doesn't get lost in, in the fantastic work that um, care and, and, and health professionals are giving um, currently. Um, but I got involved and I'm still involved in a, in a, a number of uh, charities um, uh, supporting wounded veterans, veterans aids to name but two. Um, and this whole idea of transition, what, what we do when we leave one career start another. And I think some people right now will be going through that uh, without having wanted it. Um, and it's exactly the same scenario, whether you've been dis medically discharged from the military, whether you've been told you can't play your favorite sport you've played for, for a long time. There's a huge latent heat of talent there that I just kind of have made it my life's work to sweep it up um, and hopefully connect the dots for, for, for some individuals. So 
the, the, the getting ex-pro sport into security is just for me, again, much like the development of, of the business. If it works once, let's see why it can work, how it can work again, how it can you know, replication, replication, make it better. Um, and so I'm really proud that we've got um, people, particularly from uh, the Harlequins, Saracens, um, rugby, really engaged in what we're trying to do there. Um, and this was the year that we were meant to kind of amplify that, but let's see what happens with, with the world of sport. Um, I'm, I'm sure we can pivot on that somehow and, and come up with some, some exciting ways that we can still uh, fulfill our goals. And dare I even ask you about paddle boarding across the channel? It does beg the question why, obviously, um, but I'm going to ask you a couple of quick questions. So just briefly, why, how the heck did that happen? So um, I have my friend Amber Nuttall to blame for that because she said to me, let's paddleboard around Ibiza. She knew I was involved with lots of military charities. And so I said, of course, I'll paddleboard with you around Ibiza. Suddenly that became, let's go and paddleboard across the channel. Um, and, that, and at that time, actually, she was, um, I think, still is a, an ambassador for the Blue Marine Foundation. We only went and planted the oyster beds in the Solent with the money that we raised from that little endeavor. Um, but I think I've spent the same amount again on physiotherapy on my right hand side because the wind was only blowing from that side all the way through. So, hey, you know, I'll do anything in the name of charity. But it was at a time in my life when I think the year before that, uh, one of my um, buckers from the uh, Supporting Wounded Veteran Charity, uh, great guy, Harry Long, um, and he said to me, mate, if I can... Um, cycle 300 miles on my sit on my sit bike so he's uh, tetraplegic so he's you know pe pedaling like this and he said uh, do you want to um, come and cycle 300 miles with me and I said well Harry I, I hate cycling um, and you know this is not a cyclist body and he looked at me and he said well I'll be hand cycling and what are you meant to say to your mate saying that to you and he said well, well let's raise some money for the charity so I was like so, um, yes, yeah, some Savlon and some uh, Vaseline later, we, uh, we went and did that. So don't pain. ask me to do anything for charity. It's dangerous, dangerous. Um, you and me both. I did exactly the same trip, London to Amsterdam. It absolutely killed me. Um, okay, final two questions. Um, first of all, how do we find out about all this wonderful stuff? Umbra International, is there a website? Are you a social media kind of girl? What, how do we find out about Kate Bright? So I've got to live and breathe this accessibility uh, tag. So I'm on uh, my LinkedIn for professional connections. Uh, I would always sort of push people that way. www.umbrainternational.com. It's, um, it's only just gone live because we just sort of started. It's how you talk about security, question mark. Um, so a lot of what we've done has been through word of mouth. So it's perfectly imperfect uh, before anyone sort of... Uh, goes there um but i'm accessible on all major platforms twitter um uh, etc um as is umbra so um get hold of me any which way you want to uh, particularly younger people coming through uh, wanting to kind of get that advice and support about setting up businesses working in the industry i'm all ears thank you that's absolutely fabulous final question the only one we asked all our guests is with all of that amazing experience you've got in the uh, in the since the neolithic period right through to the modern day, um, if you could encapsulate all that knowledge and wisdom into one simple sentence and somebody came up to you and said, Kate, just drill it all down for me. Give me one strapline mantra, something to live by that's going to help me on my way in life, whether it's starting a business or just finding my way out of a problem, what would that piece of advice be? It would be very simple. Never stop learning, so training. Um, never stop meeting people, networking. And never, ever stop investing in yourself. So take from that the sort of, you know, all the way through to my gong healing workshops that I do. But 10% of whatever you make in should go into you and your development. 
very good way of finishing. And no, absolutely fabulous podcast. Um, halfway through, I'm thinking I've got another three hours worth of glasses, ladies. <laughs> We've run out of time, but unfortunately, very unfortunately, run out of time. Um, but if we can twist your arm, <laughs> actually, frankly, you probably twist mine. But if we could tw- twist your arm, we might need to get you to come back and, and finish off the the other part of what is clearly um, an amazing story. So. Kate Bright, um, all that remains is for me to thank you so much for finding the time, for sharing such a, an incredible story. And kudos to, to you for leading the way in, a, in an industry which, you know, does have its stereotypes, but, but clearly you're at the cutting edge of everything you're doing and all that amazing money you're raising for charity. Um, long may you continue to do all those things. And once again, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Well, what can I say about Kate Bright? What, what a really wonderful lady uh, and so inspiring. Each week we have got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life's challenges. Please make sure you subscribe. As many, many people do now, I'm pleased to say, follow us on social media at Sandro's Podcast. Remember the S in the middle, same on all channels. And if you want to email us with a question, it's hello at sandrospodcast.com. We got absolutely swamped last week. So keep those coming. And remember, do leave the reviews on iTunes. And there is a chance, of course, if you like, forward, and generally advertise the podcast for us, there is a chance that you'll be interested to draw to win one of the prizes donated by one of the wonderful guests on the Sandro Forte podcast. Until this time next week, and another fabulous guest just like Kate, goodbye for now. 